0: We're on a quest to find the greatest number 32s in NFL history. And joining us is historian Joe Zagorski to help us on this journey. And we'll find a top 10 for you coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Jared Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with their tunes, let's go no-huddle through today's football history headlines.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at SportsHistoryNetwork.com.
0: Hello, my football friends. This is Jared here at the PigskinDispatch.com, and welcome to a bonus edition of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch podcast as we have our Football by number series. In today's edition, we are talking about the greatest number 32s in NFL history, 101 years of NFL history to talk about. And to join us today, because this is a big task with the 32s, we have a lot of stars. We have the famous historian and author, Joe Zagorski. You probably heard him on the Sports History Network. He has his own podcast, Pigskin Past. He's also the author of uh, multiple books, in particular, the uh, NFL in the 1970s, and that's sort of his forte, is that NFL in the 1970s. I know many of you of us, uh, like myself, grew up in the 70s, and it's exciting to hear somebody talk about some of these stars you grew up uh, watching when you were a kid. And Joe is the expert on that, and we have plenty of those folks today. So why don't we bring him in? Uh, Joe Zagorski, welcome to the Pigpen.
1: Hey, Darren. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, I think this is the first time I've been on this show. Um You know, you mentioned 32s. In the 1970s, uh, in the NFL, there were quite a lot of really uh, historic 32 players who were the number 32 in the NFL in the 1970s. Uh, My my book about the 1970s in the NFL, uh, if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it on Amazon or Books a Million or uh, uh, Barnes & Noble websites. That's where you can get it. And it, it talks a lot about everything that happened uh, from 70 through 79. It's pretty comprehensive. And uh, I, I think that if, once you read all 444 pages of it, if uh, you have any questions about the 70s after that, um, you need to call me because I don't think you'll have any more questions after that. There's so much stuff in there. Uh, it's pretty thick. But, you know, you, you mentioned the numbers 32. And in the 1970s, uh, well, even before that, there, there is no greater number 32, in my opinion, than Jim Brown. Uh, oh, definitely. pretty much thought of as the greatest player of all time, at least until Jerry Rice came along or Tom Brady. But uh, for the a number of decades, he was the greatest player of all time. But in the 70s, you had several other 32s that really grabbed headlines, of course, OJ Simpson and Franco Harris, uh, you know, both, both of those two guys along with Jim Brown are in the Hall of Fame for good reason. And OJ Simpson in the 1970s, he was the, he he was able to lead the league in rushing four out of five years. Now try doing that today. Uh, It's really hard to do. And, but he was able to do that. In in an era where, you know, the Buffalo Bills, the team that he played for during that time, uh, they didn't have much of a passing game. So uh, he was able to really uh, take a lot of hits and stay, you know, upright enough to be able to gain the yards that he he got. Of course, he was the first man to eclipse the 2,000-yard barrier in 1973. And, of course, Franco Harris... uh, he came on to the league in 72, and he was pretty much, uh, you, you know, kind of like a, a, a view of the future. You, you saw a guy with a body of a Jim Brown, but, he, he, you know, you didn't think he was going to be able to run th- that well, you know, but he was able to gain over a 1,000 yards, I think, in each of his first six or seven years. I'm not sure, but he, he, was, he was a great runner, and, of course, He became famous, you know, with all the Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty and four Super Bowl championships. One thing I noticed, though, there's some 32s that are kind of famous, in my mind, that played on defense. Uh, Mike Curtis, of course, a middle linebacker for the Colts and then later the Seahawks and the Redskins. And uh, Jack Pardee, speaking of the Redskins, was a famous linebacker for them. Uh, Those two guys are pretty famous, and they're 32. But for the most part, it's running backs, as you know. Uh, Emerson Boozer from the, uh, Jets, uh, Walt Garrison from the Cowboys, they, uh, they were 32. Uh, and, you know, of course, if you ask a Dallas Cowboys fan, they're going to remember Walt Garrison and maybe Jets fans might remember Emerson Boozer, but, uh, I I think Cowboys fans will definitely remember Walt Garrison because he did a lot of, uh, you know, ads and, Commercials during that era as well, but there is one 32 that is um, is is either loved or hated, and you you can't have both ways with this guy. Is Jack Tatum of the Raiders? Raiders fans, Raiders fans love him, and I know Steelers fans hate him, and (laughs) and and some other teams do too. Uh, He's no longer with us, but. He was, and for my money, the hardest-hitting safety in the history of pro football. Um, he put people in hospitals. He was one heck of a hitting safety. Yeah, you,
0: know, you mentioned uh, you know, Franco Harris along with Tatum, and they were both part of probably the most famous play in NFL history, You know, the Immaculate Reception, which I think you alluded to a little bit. Because wasn't it, Tate, Frenchie Fuqua, that caused the ball to go backwards or allegedly may cause it to go backwards. The Raiders fans may argue against that. And, uh, you know, Frank O'Hare of course, catching it and uh, going down the sideline for the winning score uh, for that game in the playoffs in the 1972 uh, or 73 season. Uh,
1: 72. Have you ever seen a controversy last longer than that? <laughs> I mean, We're talking 40-some years, uh, and, and they're still arguing about it. I, I see arguments on, on like, different – Facebook pages still today about whether or not Tatum touched the ball last or a Fuqua touched it last. You know, if they had today's rules, it wouldn't matter. But back in 72, uh, an offensive player couldn't touch the ball and to another offensive player. You had to have a defensive player touch it in between. And that's where uh, Tatum comes in. Uh, people believe, the uh, Steelers obviously believe that Tatum Touched it before Franco caught it. And, uh, so that, that play will never be forgotten. It's in part of NFL lore. There's an exhibit on it in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's always going to be remembered. Uh, Fondly or not so fondly. I don't
0: know if I don't know if you've ever got off an airplane at the Pittsburgh Airport, but as soon as you get off the plane and you're going down the escalators, there's a picture of Franco in that position of you know the ball you know inches off the ground, him catching that in the famous bronze statue there. I've I've seen it
1: and I've heard um, I've heard people have tried to deface it over the years who are Raiders fans. And uh, a, a friend of mine uh, also played in that game, Philville Piano, and I sent him a picture of it once, and he he was upset.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of El Piano, and, and did have you seen uh, on ESPN Plus, uh, Peyton Manning has a program called uh, Peyton's Places, and I believe yeah. it was in season one, he had a whole thing on uh the the immaculate reception and he had yeah. Br- bradshaw and frenchie fuqua and uh and phil phil v there for the raiders and uh franco harris and they, they talked about the play of course they tried to even uh peyton manning throwing the ball taking the place of bradshaw because the the guy they had come in just couldn't make that that many throws but they couldn't replicate it and uh you know, it was just a hilarious thing. You know, Fuqua had a T-shirt he exposed that said "I'm never telling" and things like that. <laughs> it's a really
1: good program. Well, you know, Pey- Peyton Manning is—he's a funny guy, and uh, he, you know, those those segments are just tailor-made for him. He's—he's he's a very humorous guy, and uh, I, I get a kick out of watching those. No, I
0: do too. I didn't realize how hilarious he is. He, He's—he is pretty funny. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and there's there's some other 32s that you, you you know, you have on this list that you sent me that um, I didn't think about until, like, a a little while longer, and I'm thinking, wow, Stanley Wilson, he wore 32, Tony Galbraith, he wore 32, um, and there's a few others, Rick Kane from the Lions, uh, these, these are guys that are not household names, but People who watch football diligently, they'll they'll remember it. Um, Benny Malone, who could forget? Well, I guess a lot of people could forget Benny Malone, but he was uh, Mercury Morris's backup there in Miami. And he had his own distinctive running style, just like Morris did. Uh, pretty interesting. And then, of course, Vernon Perry had one of the greatest uh, playoff games I've ever seen a defensive back intercepted four Dan Fouts passes in a playoff game for the Oilers to beat the Chargers. That that was just incredible. I couldn't believe it. that They would would throw to, you know, he was a rookie at that time, and they would throw to a rookie that much, thinking that they're going to beat him after the third interception. I would have laid off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> But Fouts Fa- was an aggra-
0: aggressive passer You know, he always thought he could stick it in her Just like all the good quarterbacks do You know, those gunslingers
1: <laughs> That's right, yeah And then and then there's some other 32s Craig James uh, Played for the Patriots For a number of years And of course he was part of that Pony Express backfield at SMU With Eric Dickerson um, You know, and then Craig became like an ESPN analyst but, uh, he was, he, he, he came out of high school and he was highly touted as like the next greatest phenomenon. And he, he, was, you know, he's good enough to make the pros, uh, play for New England. But at that time, New England didn't have a team like they had with Tom Brady on it. Um, right. And then, um, some of these guys are just barely uh, noticeable. I know you have Blair Thomas. People know of him more from what he did in college at Penn State. I honestly couldn't tell you what team he played for in the pros. I I, I just don't even know. Um, So I I knew of him more in college. And then uh, we were talking about other defensive players. Dennis Thurman played safety for the Cowboys for a number of years. And he was, you know, he wasn't a superstar, but he was very solid and very dependable. And uh, I think he, he finished his career with over 20 interceptions, which isn't too bad. And then there's John Keyworth, who played for the Broncos. He was a great uh, running back, or at least a good running back, and he was pretty big for a running back size. He was really tall. I think he was like 6'3 or 6'4", which is generally pretty tall for a running back. He was stocky. um, But, you know, back at that time, the the Broncos were in a transition period between uh, Floyd Little, who's in the Hall of Fame, and Otis Armstrong, who – it, injuries cut his, his career short, but uh, those two guys were, were um, pretty uh, uh, important to get the Denver Broncos to their first Super Bowl in 1977.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are some great great names, and like you said, you don't think about some of those guys you know, and associate them with the number 32, but there's some great players from that era of football that were the 32, and uh, Without- we haven't even got to some of these guys that are and some of the you know the other decades that are great players, too. But, I mean, you you touched on some of the Hall of Famers. We have five Hall of Famers that, that Canton says were 32 that are in the Hall of Fame. And the mm-hmm. first one, uh, Red Baggro, uh, played long ago, and he only wore it for the 1936 season. And we don't have a whole lot of stats on him. Uh, so, And we've talked about him with some other numbers because he's wore some other numbers that are less than 32. But we talked
1: about, you know, Mars. <laughs>
0: Is it is it Morris Bagro? It could, it could be. I can look it up here real quick. I got the stats here. Oh, yeah, it's Morris Hiram Bagro, and they, his nickname was Red. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. it, I could
0: I I could see him sticking with Red. <laughs> right. Yeah, I could too. That'd be a a lot of names to say there. Uh, but yeah, he was a New York Yankee, New York Giant uh, in uh, Brooklyn. So he stayed in the New York area his entire pro career with uh, the different leagues. So
1: yeah, thirty six as the – uh, th- the game was a lot different then. Heck, the game was different in the 1970s. So in 1930s, it was way different.
0: Yeah, definitely, sure was. They still had the watermelon ball, I think, then too. Then they were more of a watermelon oh. shape than what we have now.
1: It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't like it is today. I know that.
0: <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the five uh, Hall of Fame members of War 32. You know, beside Fagro, you know, OJ Simpson, you mentioned Jim Brown, you mentioned Franco Harris. Marcus Allen's another one came in the early eighties, nineteen eighty-two to nineteen ninety-seven, uh, with the the Chiefs and the Raiders. Uh, just had a you know brilliant career. So definitely all those Hall of Famers uh, that we just mentioned. I think if you sorry with you, I think those four gentlemen, the four running backs I just mentioned, Harris, Allen, Brown, and Simpson, all ought to be on our, our top ten list. If that's okay with you.
1: Yeah, sure. And you know, I, I don't know how a person can go from. Uh, the Raiders to the Chiefs or the Chiefs to the Raiders. But, but he did it and, uh, so did, uh, that he was, he was in, um, an assistant coach. He was also a backup quarterback, uh, for the Chiefs and then he went to the Raiders as an assistant coach and then as a head coach, uh, for the, uh, for the Raiders. Oh, God, what is his name? He just made the whole thing. Um, uh, uh, Shanahan? no, 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 no. Um, he was um, a Hispanic American. Oh God, I forget uh, his Tom, name. Tom Flores. Tom Flores. That's it. And uh, so he was. He played for the Chiefs and the Raiders. And so did Marcus Allen. And I'm thinking, well, there's a rivalry there, I, you know. So I, I know that it can be done, <laughs> but uh, I, I can imagine the ribbing that uh, those two guys must have took going from one of those rivals to another.
0: Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, he Marcus Allen had uh, his first eleven years in, in a Raiders uniform. And can you imagine that? in That uh, first game in 1993 when he was wearing a Chiefs uniform, him going oh. into the Raiders stadium. And I'm not even sure where they were in uh, the early 90s if they were in L.A. or back in Oakland. They, they switched around so much back that I can't remember. Uh, oh, but, a
1: lot. And uh, something else, uh, you know. And uh it was it was yeah. that way with the Steelers and the Raiders as well. The Raiders made enemies all around the league. well they sort of had
0: that was sort of their their stick you know they wanted to be the bad guys they had you know the that silver and black uniform you know they had the hard hitters like Tatum and uh you know Lester Hayes and uh you know some of those defenders and you know a very aggressive offensive line and you know John
1: Madden he was a pretty aggressive coach too so oh yeah without a doubt um you know there's uh, the, 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 I wish the Raiders would have stayed in Oakland because like I'm a traditional guy, but um I, I understand how the game has to adapt over time and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's out of my hands. Certainly. I don't have a say in it, but I, I'm a traditional guy. And I just wish their, their teams would have stayed, you know, wherever they were when I was a kid. Like I, today, I really wish that the, uh, Baltimore Colts would still be the Baltimore Colts. So, yeah, if, if the
0: league was as consistent as they are now, like when cl- the Cleveland Browns left to go to Baltimore, you know, they left the Browns' name and all their uh, statistics and records in Cleveland. Right. That would have been nice if they would have done that with Baltimore Colts and, you know, the Indianapolis would have had to cho- chose a different name and start over like the Ravens did. That would have been
1: yeah. nice. I, I would I agree and you know but I don't know why they didn't do it I guess they probably didn't think enough to do it but that's a shame yes yes it
0: is yes it is okay um well i would like to mention a couple other 32s that we have here more of a modern era you know Ed, Edgar and James was 32 he wore that uh, jersey for 11 seasons uh, mostly with the, the Colts uh, 1999 2009 Ricky Waters is another one that came in in the 1982 I'm sorry, 1992 to 2001, uh went mm-hmm. for 10 seasons. Uh, Eric Weddle, who I believe, I'm not sure, if, I think Eric got done a couple years ago. He finished his career up with the Ravens. But, you know, what a great safety he was with the Chargers right. and uh, the Ravens at the end of his career. Um, uh, you know, Devin McCourtney, uh, still playing. a great uh, quarterback that's lately with the Patriots, but he's wore that number 32 for 12 seasons. Uh, Maurice wow. Jones-Drew were for eight seasons, you know, mostly with Jacksonville. Uh, Otis Anderson's another one played at the end of the seventies into the eighties. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. most famously for the Giants, but I believe he bounced around a little bit too. But you know, yep. just uh, you just keep going on and on. You have all these great names uh, throughout football history that wore it. Uh, you know, it's just probably, you-
1: probably one of the most famous numbers in pro football. I, I would think along with number twelve for quarterbacks it's it's you know it's probably not as important as number 12 is but i think it's as far as running backs goes i don't think you'll find a more important number
0: oh i i agree and i think the bar was set pretty high with when uh mr brown was running there in cleveland with it he sort of made that number what it is
1: yeah without a doubt
0: so yeah it's a high standard to live up to and there's many backs that have Got close to it. Not the success he has, I don't think, but uh, got real close. Uh,
1: uh, you know, you mentioned Endron and James. I, I always thought that he was in the Hall of Fame or just got in there recently. I, I didn't know that he wasn't in it. Um, I might be wrong with that. Wow. Well, you know what? You are correct.
0: Maybe he he might be at one end this year, and I maybe I missed it. But, yeah, you are right. Endron James is in the Hall of Fame. I'm looking at it right now. So oh, I apologize okay. to, to Endron and uh, the fans of the Colts here. I have misspoken. Sure. He'll forgive you, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I think I think just for that fact, I think maybe he should be our fifth on the list. What do you think?
1: Well, he he's, he's he'd be the sixth because we we keep forgetting Red Badgro. <laughs> oh yeah, okay,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna put him in too. Okay, yeah. So we there's our sixth. We have four spots open here. Now, you know, we've we've send some really good names, but I'm gonna rely on you. How about a? Is there a couple of guys maybe from the '70s that you mentioned earlier? Uh, that we sort of skip through the maybe you think you know maybe should uh, like a Pardee or Curtis or you know uh, I
1: would I would go with Curtis I would go with Jack Tatum I'd go with um what was oh gosh uh, won the MVP of Super Bowl twenty five uh, for the Giants oh gosh Otis Anderson okay I, I'd go with him and. Let's see if there's any sentimental one here. I have one. I'll go, you know what? He doesn't get enough press, but I'll go with Cullen Bryant, who played for the Rams, and he was a great fullback. I'll go with him. Okay. He might so we have make-
0: – <laughs> Well, I, I think those are all pretty good good picks there because those are some great uh, players. So our top ten that we're seeing is we have uh, Cullen Bryant, uh, Jack Tatum, Otis Anderson, Red Badgrove, O.J. Simpson, Jim Brown, Franco Harris, Edgerrin James, and Marcus Allen. That's a pretty good squad right there to, to have.
1: Oh, yeah. There's a lot of depth there on that lineup.
0: <laughs> yeah, we have a little offense, a little defense. So I think we're just missing a quarterback, is
1: all we have. But uh, one of those talented backs, we can just run Wildcat all day, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd really hate to see what would happen if if like a guy like Edgerin James. Uh, Has to be tackled by a red bag girl. I think I think the the red red would have to go to a hospital after that. It could be, could be. (laughs) Those guys back in the '30s weren't as big and as strong and as fast as those guys in the '80s and '90s were.
0: Oh, that's for sure. That is for sure.
1: Well, hey, I want to talk a little bit more about your book,
0: you know, because that's it's really intriguing, you know, that NFL of the 1970s. And and what could somebody, if you could just maybe hit some highlights that a listener that's uh, thinking about getting your book, what could they expect in a a book like that?
1: Well, it's a a great book for a person that wants to uh, look up things and is a trivia nut. A person who's a trivia nut will love the book. Um, What I did was I took every single year in that decade and I devoted an entire chapter to that year. And I pretty much just scoured almost all these different sources that I could find. I went to the Hall of Fame Research Library and looked for different sources and different articles. Um, I went to NFL Films and looked up different things. And I, I tried to include as much as I could. Now, it doesn't have everything. There's people that have told me, man, everything's in there. So not everything. I, I looked it over again. And I I forgot a couple of things that I should have put in there that I forgot. But for the most part, it's pretty inclusive as to all that's in there. And and I didn't really focus on just the game and the players. I talked about a lot of different aspects of of what was going on. For example, in 74, I I talked quite a lot about uh, the player strike. It was the first major player strike in the NFL. There was several before it, but this one was the first major one, which had games canceled. And so I, I talk a lot about that. And then, of course, I, I also talk about uh, the, the idea of, you know, steroids in the game in the 70s. Mm. It became common, um, but it wasn't outlawed in the 70s. You could still, you know, do it. And that's why a lot of teams were doing it. Um and then, uh, of course, I, I devote a lot of time to the controversial things about the, the 70s. Uh, yeah, I, I take some controversies and hit, hit them head on, like the immaculate reception or, um, the Mike Renfro's catch in the 79 AFC title game that was declared out of bounds. Um, you know, he played for Houston and they were playing Pittsburgh and, uh, if you I remember been, it well, The <laughs> <laughs> Houston person said so he caught it in bounds. And, you know, uh, even the announcers, uh, oh gosh, I, I think it was Dick Enberg and Merlin Olsen, it could have been Kirk Gowdy. Uh, they said, oh well, no, he, it was a catch, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, it, you know, that, that, I, I try to touch on that, those types of things. But one thing that I wanted to, purposefully do is put as many names in the book of players who played so that, you know, they're not forgotten, that at least they could look up their name in an index, in uh, the back index of the book, and see what I said about them and, you know, and just to prove to their grandkids, yeah, I was in that decade, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So uh, it has a lot in it. Uh, It takes a long time to read it it's a very thick heavy book and it took me six years to write it so it takes a while to read it there's a lot in there um, but uh, I, I think people will, will enjoy it, especially if you love football history if if you grew up in the time of the 70s I, I think you almost have to have it if you want to relive those days uh, you know I, a, a lot of people don't realize that. It. Joe oh, it's too expensive well I didn't get it. I didn't get the say in how much it would cost. I found that out. It's, it's my first book and I found out the hard way that you don't get a say in it. It's uh, the publisher that does. So, um <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I live and you learn and, uh, but I, I think that I gave people their money's worth with the amount of words in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty thick and I, I think you'll like it. Uh, there's not a lot of photographs in it, but, um, most of the people, you know, who are buying it, there's, uh, as far as I know, over 1600 people have bought a copy. But, um, they, uh, the, the comments that I've gotten on Amazon have been all positive for the most part. Um, so that makes me feel good. And, uh, I, I think that a lot of people who were around at that time will be able to read things that, they've long since forgotten and say, I remember that. And so that's what I do. Well,
0: hey, that sounds like a definitely interesting one. So, you know, make sure you check out Amazon. Uh, what's the exact title of it
1: again, Joe? It's called The NFL in the 1970s, Pro Football's Most Important Decade.
0: Okay, so make sure you look for that on Amazon. You said Books a Million, and probably almost anywhere you can uh, get books online, I'm sure they yeah. would be able to have it available. Now, before I let you go, I, uh, I want to make sure we talk about your podcast, uh, uh, The Skin Pass on the SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Yeah. You can find that. And I just listened to your latest episode. Uh, this will probably be out about a week after that. We're recording on uh, April 6th. But you had a very interesting one on the uh, journeyman quarterbacks, if you could talk about that and, uh, without spoiling anything. We want people to go listen to it. But uh, just the highlights on that.
1: Yeah, um, you know, we we remember a lot of these famous quarterbacks. Uh, you know, of course, the the household names, uh, the Joe Namath, Terry Bradshaw, guys like that. But there's guys that played in the NFL that played upwards of two, three, four, five teams. Um, Earl Morrill, who has, I believe, three Super Bowl rings, one with Baltimore and two with Miami, he played for six different teams. You know, so he, he lived out of his suitcase. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of guys that have made names for themselves in the NFL as quarterbacks who didn't stay with one team. And, of course, Fran Tarkenton, you know, great Minnesota Vikings quarterback, not a lot of people know that he also played, I believe, five or six years with the New York Giants. Uh, so, uh, you know, I I thought, you know, nobody really talks about journeyman quarterbacks that much. So that's why I did that program on them. It's it's truly interesting and definitely
0: definitely worth the listen. To uh, brings back some great memories, all of us that uh, remember that that era. And uh, you really bring it to life again and uh, bring that preservation of the football history. And that's what we're all looking for and all trying to, to do. So we appreciate that. And, and Joe, we really appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today and uh, you know, going through this number 32 list. It's a daunting task, and I appreciate your research and uh, diligence on it and bringing back those great memories. And we hope to have you on again sometime real soon. Oh, Thanks, Darren.
1: Appreciate it. Look forward to it. Take care and have a great rest of your week.
0: Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It was just another ordinary day in the offices of the
2: Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change. For she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is.
1: Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees.
2: Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover.
1: I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed?
0: I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. (laughs) Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash row one.
1: SportsHistoryNetwork.com
0: slash row one. Oh, my. These are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art.
1: Michael Jordan items.
2: And so Retro it was sports, that Marla Delph Delph discovered it? the splendiferous magic of Row 1 sports memorabilia, arts, and prints. You can, too, by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com Row 1. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row 1 catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920s sports world in Orville Mulligan, Sports Writer, coming soon.